So I'm not sure for the kids if they were able to have a good look at the uh, bulletin cover for today. But it's, uh, we might want to do that here in the church, too, because it's really quite elaborate when you have a look at it. Um, there are lots of people, and it looks like everybody's having quite a good time. And I think you can discern who is Jesus and who is Jesus' mother. And if you look closely, you can see there are musicians at the back, up in the balcony. And so Pastor Tom knows what it's like to be the musician who's at the back, up in the balcony. So it's quite, a, quite an elaborate painting, really. And so um, I hope, kids, you can hear me, because I'd like to ask you, have you ever been to a wedding? Yes, yes, actually. Wonderful, wonderful. We've actually been the flower girls. Oh, even better to be the flower girls. That's the only wedding we've ever been to, and we were the flower girls. No, we we went to a party for the wedding, but we haven't. That was the same wedding. No, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was wearing a navy blue dress, and Francis was wearing a royal blue dress because the because um. The girls, were wearing, the girls were wearing royal blue and the boys were wearing navy blue, but we didn't want to both be wearing royal blue, so we just did one of them. That sounds like a good plan. And also and indeed, we couldn't find navy blue and royal blue heels, so we just got black ones. That's always a good plan to be dressed like the, like the bridesmaids or to kind of fit in with the bride's colors. That's a big part of the wedding. So you went to the wedding and you were flower girls and then you went to the reception afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very and good. While I was dancing, because mom didn't allow me to wear socks, my, I was, I, while I was dancing, I had to, eventually I had to end up taking off my heels while I was dancing because while I was dancing, the um, back of the heels were like scratching over here and it left a giant, like. Did you get a blister? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In both, in both feet. Yeah, I can, I can remember some bridesmaids who obviously were not used to wearing high heels. And even <laughs> when we came down the aisle uh, before the bride, they were kind of wobbling a little bit. So <laughs> I can't imagine trying to dance in, in them. I can't. Well, dance. They weren't high. They weren't high. They were. They were that big. That, that's big enough. That's big <laughs> enough. Yeah. They didn't have a problem. Good. Good. Other than the blister, it was no problem. How long did the reception last? Do you have any idea how long it lasted? Yeah. I I actually remember this. I actually timed it. Um, <laughs> why did you time it? <laughs> that is After such a strange food. thing to do. Wait, wait, wait. After the wedding. That took about an hour to do pictures. No, Does that yeah. count? Does pictures count? Yes, pictures can count. Yep. Okay, so I actually tried to be evil and try to grab the bouquet because I'm. Oh, Kelly, wait, Kelly, wait, Kelly. The um, <laughs> the um, the uh, pictures took about thirty minutes, and then the uh, wedding took about. It ended about five o'clock, mm -hmm. and then the and then it waited until like nine. So like four hours. Wow! So that was, I that was, was quite that a long wait. Too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I I know when at some weddings the pictures have taken two and a half hours, and the wedding service itself took ten minutes, and it's like. <laughs> 
I wonder what's the most important thing happening here. But anyway, everyone wants to do their own plans for a wedding, and that's okay. As a pastor, I really don't have problems with that. The only problem I have is if there are uh, uh, people want music that is not church-related or, or sacred music, um, that that's kind of where I draw the line. But otherwise, you know, it's not my wedding. It's It's somebody else's. They just play random music. They just played random music. I bet you that's right. I bet you that's exactly right. They, um, they made a playlist and yep. they just did that playlist. I did actually try to be evil and try to grab the bouquet because I was like the youngest girl there trying to grab the bouquet, which means that the women would pretty much have to wait pretty much their entire lifetime to get married. <laughs> that would that would stall their plans, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. yes do you, do you have, but she didn't catch we're, it. We're actually, no, I didn't. We're actually on the same schedule now as those Sunday school leaflets. We're back on track with the same story as the leaflets that you get. Um, have you, do you have those leaflets available to you? No. Okay. Well, then I won't ask you any questions, but if you do, if you print them out, there are, um, on, on the first page, there's something that says, what did Jesus do that was important for three reasons and then it gives three reasons and i think this is fairly important to share with you the first reason is this was the first blank of jesus so this was the first miracle that jesus did even though john called it a sign and then the third thing on that leaflet it said the other reason it's important is his disciples had faith in him and that's a really important thing because that's the same for us that we have faith in Jesus as well. So thanks. I'm, I'm glad we had such a good talk about weddings. We'll have to find something just as exciting next week. That's wonderful. Let's have a word of prayer together, please. Dear Jesus, you gladden the hearts of all those at the wedding feast of Cana. Gladden our hearts every day as we fellowship and walk with you and teach us always to be kind one to another. Amen. Well, that was good. <laughs> I had no idea weddings would be quite so much fun or so exciting. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So do you remember the song, Everything is Beautiful in Its Own Way? Starry nights, snow-covered winter days. Remember that song? I thought of that often as I have reflected on the contrast between winter here and winter back in the Midwest. And as I was doing that, I thought of other seasons back in the Midwest too, especially my favorite times, which are the warm twilights of early summer around June 15th, that gentle warmth in the evening and the deep greens, the deep green color that we perceive when the light starts to get just a little bit more gentle and not quite so sharp. So just this week, I had a little pretend story going through my head. Now remember, this is a pretend story. I thought of walking along in my imagination at twilight with a friend back in the Midwest around June 15th. No friend in particular, but that friend turned and said to me this. My friend says, you know, these early summer twilights are so beautiful. The air is so full of life and things look so green. But what would make this summer night 
even more amazing would be if only God had made some little creatures that would fly around soundlessly and they had little lights in their tails. And when the sun started to go down, you'd see these little gold lights flicker on and off in the lawn, in the yard, and the darker it got, the higher those little bugs would fly until when it was totally dark, you could see them in front of your face and flying over your head until finally you found yourself standing absolutely still and almost holding your breath so you'd be sure to see that next thin line of light being drawn on the retinas. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that just be amazing, my friend says. And in my imagination, I might respond, turning to my friend, and depending if I've had a long day or I'm a little cranky, I might say something like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Little bugs with lights in their tails. It's almost silly. Don't you think God had more to do with creation than that? That would never happen. But I would be wrong, wouldn't I? Because, in fact, the little creatures are there, and creation is full of surprises. So let's have another thought experiment like that one. Let's pretend that St. John had not included today's reading in the gospel. We had no idea that this story had happened. And let's pretend that my friend and I were just finishing up with Bible study at church. Now remember, let's, we're just pretending that John hadn't written that story. So my friend, towards the end of Bible study, turns to me and says, you know, the Gospels are so incredibly beautiful. The incarnation, the teachings of Jesus, his ministry, the eyes of the blind are opened. The ears of those who cannot hear are unstopped. The tongues of those that cannot speak begin to sing. Those who cannot walk begin to leap like deer. And then, then people who have died are brought back to life. And then my friend would say, but you know what would make these stories even more amazing is this. How's this? If only Jesus and his disciples were going to a wedding, maybe at some relatives, and they're all there three days and everybody's drinking wine, and they're all getting real happy. But then the wine runs out. It's just a disaster. And then Jesus' mom shows up, and she says, they're running out of wine. And Jesus answers her a little bit sharply and says, what's it to you and me? But then Jesus tells the wait staff, those six big stone jars over there, the ones that we use for our rites of purification and washing up, fill those jars up to the brim with water so that nothing more can be poured into them. And the wait staff do as Jesus says. And then Jesus says, so take some of that out from those stone jars and take it to Bob, the wedding coordinator. And Bob doesn't know anything about it, but the servants know all about what's happened. And Bob, the wedding coordinator, tastes some of it. And the wedding coordinator, Bob, calls the groom over and says, what are you doing serving the two buck chuck first? I know it's three buck chuck now. Don't you know you're supposed to serve the good wine first? And then my friend says to me, wouldn't that be an amazing story if Jesus turns at least 120 gallons of water into really good wine? 
when people have already had plenty of wine. Wouldn't that be an amazing story? And in my imagination, I might look around the room at church and see that there are still people there from Bible study, and I would say to my friend, let's step out in the hall. And if I'd had a long day, or if I'd been a little bit cranky, I might say something to my friend like, well, that's the craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. Jesus never went to a wedding in any of the Gospels. He went to dinners where there was civil conversation and teaching and discourse, turning water into wine, especially when everybody's had too much to drink already, probably. It's almost irreverent. Don't you think Jesus had better things to do with his ministry? Jesus would never do something like that. But I'd be wrong again, wouldn't I? In fact, Jesus did do something like that, didn't he? And scriptures, like creation, are full of surprises. So what are we to make of this surprising and enigmatic story? Actually, we have been preparing for this story ever since Christmas, when we heard the words from John in a darkened church, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. And John goes on to write, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. His glory was manifest. This is epiphany. It's no accident that John begins his gospel in just the same way as Genesis begins, because John is telling us a new creation story. And the wedding at Cana takes place on the seventh day, when all things have been made. In the first part of John's Gospel, John will tell us of Jesus' signs, successively revealing Jesus' glory. In the last half of the Gospel, John will tell us of Jesus' exaltation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. In today's Gospel, Jesus turns to his mother and calls her woman. The next time Jesus looks to his mother and calls her woman will be as he looks down at her from the cross. As Helmut Tielke has written, crib and cross are of the same wood. It's no accident that John begins this story on the third day. Does that sound familiar? layer upon layer of meaning in these texts. John will give us seven signs from Jesus in the first half of his gospel, and Jesus gets into trouble for almost all of them except this one. I had a boss who often said, no good deed goes unpunished, and that's because the darkness doesn't comprehend the light. John also writes later, much later in his gospel, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Sounds incredibly promising, doesn't it? It's no wonder they call it good news. So throughout the epiphany season, 
we will have varying kinds of manifestations of epiphanies with varying kinds of meanings. I perceive that the overarching message, at least in part, from the story today, I believe the overarching message is a call to faith and faith that manifests in obedience. Obedience, huh? Well, I don't really think I care for that much. In my academic discipline, there is something called oppositional defiant disorder. It's a label sometimes that's stuck on kids and you're supposed to be able to outgrow it. But I don't think I ever did. I think I've still got a little oppositional defiant disorder. And I blame my birth order being the youngest because I have to blame something, don't I? But this is a different kind of obedience. This is not following the handbook. This is not completing a checklist. This is not clicking on policies and procedures. This is not a call to follow statutes. This is a call to follow Jesus. This is a call to follow Jesus. It's not about keeping the rules. It's about transformation. Now, here, all of us. About nine years ago, when I was in seminary, Walter Brueggemann spoke in San Jose, and he said, the summons of discipleship now is to depart the dominant ideology. In other words, stop thinking like everybody else is thinking. The summons of discipleship now is to depart the dominant ideology. The claims of our faith are wondrous and urgent. Dr. Brueggemann was right then, and I think he's even more right now. No one could have known these wondrous and urgent claims any better than our Lord's Blessed Mother. She, who 30 years earlier had said to the angel Gabriel, let it be with me according to your word. Mary makes an observation to Jesus. She just says, they have no wine. And when I hear her words, I usually kind of smile to myself. Mary observes to Jesus, they have no wine. And I think of those times when my mother said to me something like, the front door is still open. There are dirty dishes in the sink. Do you get the message behind the statement? I needed to. Do you get the imperative behind the declarative? And so even though Jesus seems to rebuff his mother's observation, I can remember as a kid listening to this in the old King James Version, and it was very poorly translated because Jesus says to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? In the King James Version. And as a little kid, I thought, mm, if I said to my mom, what have I to do with thee? I would soon find out what she had to do with me. It wouldn't take long at all. So even though Mary makes an observation that Jesus seems to rebuff, Mary says to those serving at the wedding, rather literally, literally the Greek goes, what he tells you, do. Obedience. Jesus says to those who are serving, fill the jars with water. Six jars, holding 20 or 30 gallons. Have you ever hauled water? A 10-gallon bucket even, let alone 20 or 30. It's not easy. 
but those serving are obedient. They bring water, and in fact, they fill the jars to the brim. When Jesus says to draw some water out and take it to the chief steward, those who are serving, do what Jesus tells him. These people who are serving, by the way, are not slaves. The word for them is the same Greek word from which we get the word deacon. When the servants go to the chief steward, they know where the wine has come from and they get it. So here's the point. Those who have been obedient have a clearer perception of Christ's glory. Those who have been obedient have a clearer perception of Christ's glory. And remember, we're not talking about obedience like coming to a full stop at the sign. We're talking about obedience in following Jesus and being transformed in the process. And you know, you know already with obedience, the best is usually saved for last. If you're mastering an instrument, if you're acquiring a new language, even if you're learning how to ride a bike, the beginning is often not very much fun. Beginning all these things takes practice. Turning from our old ways is a daily practice. Turning from sin, turning from being curved in on ourselves, turning to a life of obedience, turning to being open to the Spirit. And this is no one-time action. It's ongoing. My systematics professor wrote, we can think of sin as the assertion of the part against the whole and the assertion of the present against the future. I'm going to say it again. We can think of sin as the assertion of the part especially me, against the whole and the assertion of the present against the future. I think Dr. Peters was absolutely right. And that implies that obedience is affirming the whole against the fragmented, affirming of the future God intends for us rather than the endless repetition of the same old stuck self our past predicaments over and over again. With obedience comes a clearer vision of Christ's glory. I heard a speaker here in the Bay Area at a thriving generosity project say, we're talking about a generosity that allows the ego to stand down. Service is a way to connect with the divine, is what she said. And I'd like to paraphrase it by saying we're talking about an obedience that allows the ego to stand down. Service is a way to connect with the divine. So as we journey through this season of epiphany, beholding Christ's glory in signs and words and wonders, my prayer is that we will be able to continue to hear and to heed those final words that our Lord's Blessed Mother ever said in Scripture. The final words spoken to us by our Lord's Blessed Mother. What he tells you, do. Do whatever he tells you. 